Welcome in, you are listening to episode number 156 of Money Mail. We made it, 156, three lots of 52. I was trying to work out on the last podcast, does that mean it's three years? I finally clicked. You see, I'm not as smart as you probably think I am, that there's often more than 52 Fridays in a year. And perhaps when I started this in May 2022, there have been more Fridays, and we're not going to get to three years until later in May. But I do have a three-year special coming up for you when we get to it in May, which will be very exciting with some lessons and things that I've learned since starting Money Mail. So I'm looking forward to doing that one. As I told you on the last Money Mail, I'm about to go overseas, so I'm trying to get through some of my work that is ahead of me. And today, to be honest, I really just wanted to go home. Uh, And then I just say to myself, do the fucking work. Um, That doesn't happen all the time, but really I know I'm going to go home, probably eat something, sit around for a while and not do too much, then go watch the Warriors beat up on the Roosters. So I might as well squeeze this time. And I still struggle with this, and I'm sure you do too. You know you've got something to do, but you don't always want to do it. But if you can try and fight back against that habit and go and get it done, then geez, you start to stack the wins and then you know that you've got it inside you. And that is really, really cool and a cool thing to be able to hold on to or to utilize when you need it in other areas of your life. Now in this lesson, it sort of follows the theme from last week when we were looking at the top paid CEOs and what they get. And now of course we had the report that came out around the economic income, so the unrealized gains, the on paper capital gains that people make in the country and, and mostly the wealthy because that's what the, the report was focused on, the 300 or so um, wealthiest families in the country. But I wanted to share with you how a rich list had changed my life and probably yours as well. So it's tax time for me at the moment. I know, don't switch off please. And what we do is we predict what tax our clients are going to have to pay in business. Now for a lot of them, They pay provisional tax. And what that means is they're sort of paying as they go. They're prepaying their tax that when we get to do their accounts, we say, oh, you've paid enough. And they pay this in August, January, and May. But those three payments are based on the year before. Now, if they've had a really good year the year before, then it's going to be, hey, we want the same amount of tax plus 5%, and we're going to break it down into these three installments. So clients budget for that. But obviously, things can change. And your current year may not be the same as your prior year much like in your own life where things come up and you think, holy shit. Now, as an example, I have a client who was on track to have a very similar year in the 2023 financial year to the 2022 financial year. He rings me and he says, Luke, I've just finished a whole stack of work and it's worth 70 grand to me, $70,000 worth of work, and I've just found out that the company that owes me that money is going into liquidation and I'm not going to get that money. Now, obviously that's gut-wrenching for that client but it also means that 
the invoice that they sent out for all of that work will never get paid. So when they invoice it, it recognises revenue and then it increases their profit and then they have to pay tax on that profit. Now when we account for this, really we don't need a invoice for it effectively because we're not going to get it. So we recognise what's called a bad debt and that is when it is extremely likely that we're not going to receive that money and that is the case for this one. So now, right on the end of March, this client, their profit is decreased by $70,000 because I go in there and I recognize a bad debt for $70,000. So my client's already paid for his staff to be there to do the work and then they have invoiced for it and to recover all of that. No, not going to get that money. So that severely decreases my client's position and profit for the year. Now, because I have access to Zero, the accounting software that this client uses, I have real-time financial data, and that helps me understand how clients are performing just like this client. So I go in and I say, mate, you know, based on what we're seeing here, your profit's not going to be anywhere near as close to what it was in the 2022 financial year. And I know that cash is now going to be tight for you given what's just happened. So it would be foolish to make this installment, installment number three in May. So let's not make it. Now I give him that advice and he understands it, I understand it, and then we tidy up the exact tax position once we do the accounts, which will be later this year in the next few months. Now, had I not had access to this information and his financial position, I would be guessing and I would be saying, oh, well, I really don't know how you're going, so can you just try and make that payment please, because the IRD want you to make that payment and you're obligated to based on last year. And the client may be saying, but mate, it's, it's a way different year, so why would I make it? But, oh, but I don't have the information to, to completely know. But because of zero, I can see the information day to day. It literally updates daily, and we reconcile it all, and then we know how the business is performing literally on a day-to-day basis. So you can see that with this real-time data, I can advise clients on what tax they should pay to help smooth their cash flow and help them avoid tax uh, yeah, surprises that impact cash flow and keep them awake at night. The same thing, another client, they're doing a lot better in 2023 than they were in 2022. So I'm saying to them, hey, your profit's actually a lot uh, further ahead of what it was in 2022. So I'm going to suggest that you either make a voluntary payment to stay in line with the tax that you're going to have or tuck some of that money aside because I don't want you to get a fright and I don't want you to get a surprise because I know that that's what business owners hate and I know that that will keep you awake at night. And they say, thank you, Luke. And I've been able to do that because I can see their current financial position and situation based on the real-time data. Now, I can also advise them things like, hey, these people aren't paying you. What's going on here? Do we need to chase these people up? Do we need to send them a reminder? Do we need to set up automatic reminders? Do we need to change the way that we word those so they're a bit more creative, a bit more forceful? We don't just want to rely on a template. We want to say, hey, if we don't receive this payment in the next 48 hours, Unfortunately, this is going to have to move to our debt collection process. And you might not even have a debt collection process, but that alone might suggest or might encourage the person to pay that amount and pay you compared to somebody else. So then I can talk to them about, well, maybe we want to introduce technology to suck the money out of someone else's bank account through direct debit and all these different types of things that technology now allows. So I can diagnose what problems business owners have because I have the live data. Now, all of this financial information sits in what's called the cloud, and you're probably familiar with that these days when you've got Google Drive or you've got your emails on a website, you can go and download a ticket from somewhere. You know, the cloud has revolutionized uh, 
the internet and the way that we do things. So I can access this information from anywhere I go. And I've literally been to Australia, for instance, and had calls with clients back in New Zealand, looking at their real-time data of what's happening in their business and being able to help them. And I'll do that again soon in America, and I'll probably do it in the Philippines. Well, I'll definitely do it in the Philippines in the coming weeks as well. So I don't need to go into the office or rely on a server to access this information. That means I can work from home, a client can call me after hours and I don't have to say, mate, I'm just going to have to drive back to the office to log into the server to be able to get the information. Now, when I first started in accounting, this wasn't the case. The server was a massive cost and a big barrier to entry into the accounting industry. And I remember sitting in meetings with my boss because he was very good. I was very, very, very lucky when I had my first public practice accounting role. He would include me in meetings about everything and I would be learning so much and I'm truly grateful to this day of the investment that he put into me to start to learn to become a business owner and to think differently and to see all of the things that they had to think about. And this would include meetings with people about, hey, you know, the server's coming to its end of its useful life. We're going to have to install a new one. Look at this $60,000 or whatever it was. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, what is that thing? Are we better back that server up and all this sort of stuff? And now it needs to go into the safe because if there was a fire in here, we wouldn't want the server to burn down. And basically, everything revolved around the server thing. And so for me, I'm like, well, I could never start an accounting business because I can't even afford the $60,000 server to start with, let alone then trying to get some clients. Now, data wasn't timely either. It was outdated by the time that I went to advise clients on it. And often it was too late and it added no value. So literally, I would be looking at some of this stuff six months down the track. But because of zero, I've been able to start my own practice, build out a client base and give them advice based on real-time financial data mapped daily to the business's bank transactions. Now, literally, I used to sit with a ruler and a client's bank statements, and I would move it down line by line, transaction by transaction. I would enter the date, I would enter the amount, I would enter what it was for, and I would say, cool, that's like bank fees, or that's some interest, or that's a loan repayment, Uh, that is a night at the strippers, well, sorry, no, no way, Uh, that is cat food for the cat to help ensure that the mice are chased around in the cow shed so that we can continue to milk the cows. Oh, that's a payment from Fontero. Better split that one out between you know what it is and protein and all this different shit. And I would be doing that line by line. Now, do you think that is a really good use of my time? Do you think that that makes me a productive person? Is that good to go to university and learn for four years and go on the path to becoming a chartered accountant to sit there entering transactions one by one and often I would do this at the end of a two-month period so would be like here we go again but then a software came along that allowed a lot of that to be pulled in daily and you could you didn't have to do the input but for some clients you would have to because they wouldn't have the software and you couldn't go back retrospectively and do it now Zero changed that and they basically allowed daily pull of the information from the bank and other people had already done it but they went a step ahead and they really started to have this all-in-one ledger where you could run and look at a business all from this one login. So now with my spare time I've been able to build a financial literacy platform, financial literacy platform, might have to do a fucking uh, written one soon or a spoken one, that has now helped thousands of Kiwis improve their own financial journey. Now hey that is exactly how you're reading this. So I use my spare time to be able to give back and to help other people, and this is the way that I've chosen to do it. A lot of people in my industry, they will go and sit on a board at a school, and it'll be like a dick-swinging contest of 
oh, I'm a lawyer, oh, I'm an accountant. And then you're just fighting with people and you're truly not adding much value. I'm like, that probably ain't what I should be doing. I should be figuring out how I can add more value and help more people than just a, a school community board. And no disrespect to those people that go and do that, but I don't want to get caught up in that kind of fighting-y stuff and who's the hero this month and who knows more than who and are we actually making any progress. And this way as well, I've been able to reach tens of thousands of people. So it's a lot better than going and sitting on a board of a school or something, in, in my eyes, for me, because I knew I was capable of this. But if that's what other people in my industry are doing, then that's fine. But now, interestingly as well, my tax bill is now higher than my salary was when I started or when I was employed. So I literally pay more in tax each year than what my income was back in the day in accounting when I was employed. So I can now donate money to causes and issues that I care about as well. And that's with money that I've earned. It's a great feeling being in a position to be able to do that. Now, funny, when I started reading this to, uh, to proofread it, I was like, man, I feel like I've said that line before and someone bombarded me about, oh, you know, easy for you or something like that. So I had this like real weird deja vu moment. And yes, I understand that I'm in a very good position to then be able to give back. But I think that that is a good goal to aim for. Can you get yourself to a point where you can actually donate back with your time and with your money? Isn't that a good goal? Not to like rip on people that do that and be like, oh, well, you know, must be nice. Well, yeah, it is really nice. So for me, many in my industry and for business owners as well, a lot of this would not be possible if someone didn't start Zero. So the founders of Zero are now billionaires. And one of them, Rod Drury, is on the rich list, and I think he's got one point something billion. I don't know what it is, but I've definitely seen a one point kicking around in front of his uh, estimated net worth at some stage. Now, I've spoken to many early employees who are set for life because they had shares that uh, were allocated to them when they first started at zero as well, and they stayed there for a long time. And I've spoken to people who were shareholders and buying shares at 60 cents a dollar, and then riding it all the way up and then selling those shares as well. Now, these people most likely wouldn't have paid tax on the sale of their shares. Now, not purposely, but because that's the rules and that's how things are set up in this country. So literally, if you bought the shares at a dollar, you rode them through to 30 bucks or even 20, you put a thousand bucks in, you take your 20 grand out, not taxable. Capital gain, you had no intention on making a profit, which you could argue, well, most people do when they buy things because we all hope that they go up in value, right? But uh, you know, you're arguing that you're going to get a dividend and things like this, and so these are not taxed. Well, is this fair? Well, everyone's going to have their own definition of fair, right? I get it. In the eyes of many, we are long overdue for some form of capital gains tax, mostly because the powers that be keep inflating asset prices in the country via increasing money supply and we don't get tax back on these gains. This is nothing new though. So this report that's come out, it's like, this isn't some groundbreaking research. It's literally, how much do we spend on this report? Because outside of the data and the statistics it's given us, it's not really a surprise. We've known that we don't tax capital gains for quite some time and we know that we're one of the countries in the OECD that don't do it. Hell, even the pioneering Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was too scared to implement it and ruled it out in the 2019 uh, year before the wealthy accumulated even more of the wealth in this country. That was a bad timing not to be brave because what happened after that? Oh, we had to create a lot of money, didn't we? And where did that end up? In assets. And who's got a lot of the assets? The wealthy. So to back this up, recent IRD research says in 2017, the wealthiest New Zealanders made economic income of $1 billion. That is what unrealized uh, gains did they have? And that's how they're measuring economic income. In 2021, the wealthiest New Zealanders made economic income of $14.6 billion. And whoopsies, 
So can you see? Like, if you're relying on a politician to fix all of this and solve all of this, really, what do we always say? Their key role is to be re-elected. Jacinda Ardern could have chosen to do something about this, and I'm not mugging her off. This is just literally the most recent case of this. And it wouldn't have been in her best interest because she wouldn't have been as popular as she was. And now with hindsight, it's very like, well, we probably should have done this if this is going to end up happening. Because the wealth for these people has ballooned. From 2017, economic income a billion. 2021, economic income 14.6 billion. Whips. So be mindful here that economic income includes on paper unrealized gains. So it's not necessarily money that has ended up in their pocket. Now, I'm not sure what the solution is, but it is clear that a lot of New Zealanders aren't satisfied with the status quo. And that makes sense to me. I, I get it and I understand why people are upset, but this is nothing new. We've been having this conversation for so long. But I'm just not sure that taxing all of this will even change mine or your life. Will it even improve the country? So did taking GST from 12.5% to 15% solve the country's problems? Did the bright line tax on property solve the country's problems? What that meant is that if you were buying and selling second properties, then you're supposed to pay tax on that. And a lot of tax does get paid on that now. Now, we introduced a 39% tax rate on people who earn over 180k. We introduced that from the 1st of April 2021. That's now the 30th of April 2023. Have we solved all the country's problems? Did the record tax take of $108.5 billion in 2022, I'll just give you a heads up, in 2021 it was only $98 billion. Did that solve the country's problems? Now, I don't know, but it doesn't feel like it, because otherwise so many people wouldn't have been so up in arms when this report came out during the week. So I don't know how we can be so confident a capital gains tax will be the silver bullet. And how can we trust that the politicians will actually use this money and do what needs to be done? What I do know is that I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for some of the people who have built and sold massive businesses that have changed my life and in turn yours as well. Let us not forget the contribution that the the rich or the wealthy, whatever we want to call them, make in our countries and our communities too. The opportunities they create from the risk that they take. We do not measure that. That has not been what this report has been about. It has been purely focused on one variable, and that is tax. Now, it is fear. Uh, is it fear that these people have to contribute a lot more in their chosen area than you and I? They create more jobs than you and I. They think bigger than you and I. They export to overseas nations and in return increase our economy. Now, let me use zero as an example. Rod could have said, you know what? We've, we've clocked accounting here in New Zealand. Brilliant. Rod was like, nah, let's take this thing global. Let's get some overseas dollars and get it flooding back down here to Australia and New Zealand way. You know, many of us don't think that way. We don't think that big. But these people do, and they take big risks. Main freight that operates across Australia and New Zealand. You and I, hmm, we're just thinking small. We're like, how can we just do our thing? So we've got to be mindful of what these people are doing that we actually don't even think is possible. Otherwise, we're going to get trapped into thinking that, you know, it's just they're doing the same things as us, which just simply is not the case. But I don't have Rod Drury coming into my office being like, mate, why are you fucking around with such few clients? Why have you got such a small office? Why aren't you contributing more? You know, why isn't this bigger? Why don't you go and solve a bigger problem, Luke? I'm like, well, I'm trying over there with my spare time to keep the change and things. But, you know, we can, we can look at these things, but we don't need to put a negative lens on it all the time. And think about unfairness and envy. 
Now, one thing I've learned is that reports come and get shelved. Politicians promise you change and then they let you down. Change starts in the mirror every single time. If you want something more from your life, don't rely on the IRD report, your favourite politician or a desire to see more taken off of others. Even with a capital gains tax in two to three years' time, say, after we've introduced one, a lot of people will be in the exact same financial position as they are today and will still be angry at how things work. Because did you know that in five years, tax revenue has increased from $76 billion to $108 billion? Has that solved all of the problems? No, of course it hasn't. So be very careful where you pin your hopes. Have an amazing weekend. Team, I would love to keep cranking through and explain more about this, but Murphy's Bloody Law, as I've started, this started drilling directly above uh, my office, and it's overly frustrating, and I don't want you guys to be able to hear it in the background because it is a pain in the ass. But Mikey and I did a podcast understanding and explaining some of the stuff as well. So perhaps go back and have a look at that. It's around the 9.5% tax that uh, the wealthy pay on their effective income, economic income, I think it is called. But uh, if you if you want to hear a bit more and, and understand it, you can check that out. Otherwise, be good out there. I'm going to see you on the other side of coming back from the USA. You are one of over 7,450 recipients. At the time of recording this, there was 26,500 of you listening via the podcast, which is just epic to see. So shout out to you. Welcome. If you're new around here, please leave a five-star review, and this will help ensure that this content ends up in front of more people. If you could share something on, that, on your story or on your social media, that would be mean a lot to me too. Be good, look after yourself, see you in a few weeks.